Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. The first scripture lesson comes from the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Thanks. This is the word of God. Our second reading is from 1 Samuel. If you recall, we've been traveling with Saul and David uh, in the stories that chronicle to this point the rise of David. Israel started with bringing Saul as the first king, and then Saul had some falling out with God. David has already been anointed, but not yet king. We saw David and Goliath in their epic battle a few weeks ago. Last week, we took a, a break to talk about freedom, uh, our 4th of July worship, both as a nation and as God's people. And today, we jump right back in to 1 Samuel uh, to see where David is and Saul are leading us today. So we're in 1 Samuel 18. We'll be reading... Uh, verses 1 through 9, I may go a little bit farther than that. Listen for the word of the Lord. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his, his bow and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul set him over the army and all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. As they were coming home, when David returned from killing the, the Philistine, the women came out of all the towns of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with shouts of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they made merry. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very angry. For this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, 
and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul threw the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And David marched out and came in leading the army. David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for it was he who marched out and came in leading them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, we're picking up in the decline of King Saul and the rise of not yet King David. Although Samuel came and already anointed David among his brothers, remember he was the last one and he was out tending the sheep. All his brothers were handsome and muscular and tall and they all scoffed at little, little David shepherd boy and God says, I look at the heart of a person, not the outward appearance as humans do. Chose David, but yet King, King Saul was still on the throne. And so as this process continues, the battle with the Philistines continues also, even though David had bested Goliath at that point in their history together. So enter into the scene now King Saul's son, Jonathan. He is also a military leader. We don't know much about him except for this section. And it talks about this interesting relationship between Jonathan and David. He pledged himself to David, made a covenant with David, loved him as much as his own soul, it says. And later it will talk about their love even surpassed the love of women. What? Red flag, red flag. <laughs> Does this mean that David and Jonathan? Probably not, probably not. The word used for love in this covenant is not one that's used for physical intimacy that the Bible uses elsewhere. It does have connotations of military covenant and commitment, which makes more sense. So why did Jonathan take all his clothes off and give it to David? Well, he gave him his shield, gave him his sword. Again, these are military instruments. And later he'll take off his robe and give that to David, but the robe was a sign of royalty. Remember, Jonathan is Saul's son and a member of the royal family. And so the same way that that robe would be torn in anguish if uh, in misery or, or loss in battle as a sign of uh, grieving or mourning, 
giving the robe to David was more a sign that he was pledging himself to David, which is a pretty big deal because his dad's still the king. And there's no exit yet for Saul. And so Jonathan goes behind his father's back and pledges himself to David. Clearly, they were friends. Clearly, they were comrades. They were in the trenches together. And Jonathan sees something that lets him know that David is on the rise and his father is on the decline. And in this outpouring of emotion, David never responds. So we don't know kind of where David was in this, although later when Jonathan dies, David uh, grieves mightily. But here David doesn't respond, which is interesting too. It's for, for those Star Wars fans out there, Empire Strikes Back, end of the movie, Han Solo's been captured, getting ready to be placed in the carbonite. They're putting him in this metal kind of coffin to try to freeze him for who knows how long. Maybe he'll survive, maybe he won't. And Princess Leia right there. And this famous line that, uh, that uh, Harrison Ford changed himself at the last minute as he's going down, about to be frozen. Maybe he'll survive, maybe he won't. Leah says, I love you. And he says, I know. <laughs> I know. Which was perfect. One of, one of the uh, standout lines in that movie that, again, Harrison Ford changed it. Here, David's the same way. Jonathan lays it all out. I pledge myself to you. I give myself to you. We are friends. We are soldiers. You will be the king. I pledge myself to you. And David kind of says, I know. Or at least we don't see his response. And there'll be a line in the next one where Leah does the same thing. So it equals out. So from that point, we see hints that Saul is starting to have trouble. Some think that Saul was crazy, mad, delirious. We see that the Spirit of God had left Saul and was with David. It, it continues, the story continues to tell us that, that the Spirit of the Lord is with him. When did it leave him? When David was ordained to be the future king, but not yet. It left Saul and went to David. Well, that doesn't seem very fair. Well, Saul had already broken his contract with God. If you remember, he left some people alive and some resources uh, alive, crops and cattle that he was supposed to wipe out because that's what God told him to do. And he didn't. And so God said, okay, moving on. Starts to rise, bring David up from the pasture. But we see hints that Saul is starting to get paranoid of David. It says it's in awe of him. He said he was afraid of David. Because at this point, David can't lose. Saul sends him out with a thousand, which is not a whole lot. He could have sent him out with 10,000. He could have sent him out with 100,000. He sent him out with a thousand. Maybe he was trying to get him killed in the field. And this strange relationship between Saul and David continues. Remember, it's David who plays 
the liar, when Saul gets upset and this evil spirit kind of comes on him, who, who soothes him? David. Whose fault really is it? David. <laughs> who is he jealous of and envious of? David. And yet, he's one of his best military leaders. And again, he can't lose. As a king, that should be his priority. But jealousy and envy get the best of Saul. And when the women sing the song, when David comes back from battle, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. Saul hears it, and this triggers for Saul. And he says, um, at the end, 10,000, so what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day on. Eyed him, was suspicious of him, watched him started to become paranoid of him, that he was coming to get him, coming to get his kingdom. What could be left for him but the kingdom? He's got everything else. If Saul would have said, wow, this guy can't lose. Are you kidding me? I'm going to send him out and keep sending him out. We can take over this whole part of the world if David can't lose and God's with him. That will increase his kingdom, his lands, all all of those resources, all of those things that come with the spoils of war. And maybe if the ladies had spoken a little nicer of Saul, if they had said perhaps under Saul's leadership, under the fact that David was Saul's, or Saul was David's mentor, and he raised him up as a great warrior, taught him everything he knew. He went out and came back and won one for the team, for the Sauler. The Gipper, that didn't work, sorry. Saul could have seen David winning as that same relationship. We've all been in those mentor relationships Sometimes we are the one being mentored. Sometimes we mentor others. They are great relationships, especially when you start to see this person that perhaps is under your guidance, whether it could be family, could be work, could be friends, could be any other organization, whatever group of people you're with, you've been working with somebody and they are starting to bloom. They are starting to grow, achieve the goals that you are helping them with. Wow, Saul could have said, look, I taught David that, except he knew he didn't. But he could have said, I'm the king and he's a commander under me. I I should really enjoy this relationship. But he couldn't. Why? Because his pride now was in the way. The women were mocking him. And they didn't say Saul didn't do anything. I mean, he killed thousands. But Saul now is covered up in jealousy, and in envy. He could have again played that and seen that whole scenario a different way. Even if he didn't like David, David kept winning. He could have continued to elevate his own status as king if he just would not have been overcome by jealousy. Jealousy is hard for us. Jealousy and envy. It's something we deal with on a daily basis. 
Sometimes it is even what drives us, and that is our caution here. And you all know when you want something so bad, so bad that it's that one piece of your life that is incomplete, and if you just had that, that maybe somebody else has, and you see that they have it, and their life seems complete, then yours would be. Enter every infomercial since the beginning of infomercials. This is what they do. Look at the empire created on making you think that if you just had this one thing, those abs, mm, snap right in there. And how many years do we know that many of them do not work? Some do. But you see it down the street. You see it at school. Oh, that kid's got the new shoes, got the cool backpack, got the new headphones, the whatever. Technology is incredible and ever-changing. I've got to have the new one. And there's a difference between ambition and jealousy. Nothing wrong with saying, I want to be better. There is nothing wrong with saying, I can achieve more. But jealousy and envy are the negative side of that. When then you start to see the people who have things you think you need, or maybe they've ascended to where you want to ascend to, and you dislike them or you try to cut them down because they're there or because they have really what you want. Politics often pit us against one another. Rich versus poor. Well, that's not fair. Well, let's fight it out. Let's see who gets elected. All kinds of different areas of things and relationships that lead us to positive and to negative places. We're jealous of the way other people look and we don't. Gosh, wouldn't it be easier if I had her hair? It would be easier if I was as fast as he was, if I was strong. Well, sure it would, maybe. The reality is, and we know this, there's always somebody that's more whatever than you. If it's taller, if it's apparent happiness, if it's a better marriage, a better parent-child relationship, somebody who studies, who doesn't study at all, and they're getting all the scholarships and getting ready to go to school, and somebody who's more wealthy, somebody who's more faithful, somebody who understands commitment, and maybe you don't think you do, Money, always constant source. Gosh, another, another 25000 a year, and I'd be right with them in the Bahamas, and we would love it, and life would be complete. And we fool ourselves with these games often. And we know better. We know better. We get something that we've wanted for so long, and we check that off, and then we move on to the next thing we don't have. And we can skate through life, check, got it, move on to the next. Check, got it, move on to the next. And again, there, uh, there's nothing wrong with ambition, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying what you were able to provide for you and your family. But it's when it becomes that negative jealousy 
We, we see so much on the internet with these trolls and so much negativity because people think they're anonymous. You're not. You are online. Everybody knows it no matter what you say or no matter who you say it to. Hear these words this day, young and old alike. Nothing deleted goes away. Jealousy takes us over at times, and we need to recognize those times. There's a story another preacher tells about two old men who are sick in the hospital, both near death. One is by the window, one is not. They're both in the same room, small room, and the one that's not by the window cannot see through the window. Eyesight's bad. So, every, and they were good friends. They talked about everything, about their lives together, about their families, their jobs, their relationships. They're really all each other had. We're good friends for several years until the one who was not by the window got sick of the other man just explaining to him what was going on outside of the window. There was a park out there, so he would describe... Well, there's a, a family there, and there's two little dogs, and they're playing catch, or other events going on outside so the man can, the other man can understand it, see it in his mind. Again, it was a great relationship for some time, but then the man started to get jealous and think, well, why does he get to see and I don't? How come he's the one who gets to see and I'm the one who has to just listen and picture this in my mind? One day there was a parade and described in great detail this parade and the man not by the window said, that, that's it, I, that's not fair. I want to be by the window, I want some time. And as this story goes, the man by the window has a coughing attack in the middle of the night. Nobody hears it. His button is moved, his emergency red button is moved out of his ability to reach it. And the man just sits there and listens because he wants the window. The man dies. The man dies. And he feels kind of bad, but, but gosh, if that was his time, that was his time. And so now they move the man by the window. They prop him up the same time as his former friend was to explain every day what was going on around him. And he looks out, and he sees nothing but a solid wall of the building next to him. So the first man was helping him. He made up all of these things about life on the outside to help the other man cope, when really he couldn't see very well at all. Couldn't see a ground. There was no park. There was no parade. And out of this jealousy, he's got it. How come I don't? Extreme situations only to realize the guy was being a great friend and seeking to love him. We find ourselves there very easily. How come it's fair that stop right there? When that word comes up, you need to check yourself. We need to know as your parents told you, as you have told your children, life isn't fair. 
Does God love that other person because they have more money and they look better and they travel more? And it, No. <laughs> of course not. And that's our challenge. The grass is greener syndrome is real and thick and strong in our relationships, in our literal yards. The man that lived across the street from me in Tallahassee for the last 10 years, his yard is always immaculate. Mine is not. Every once in a while, I'll see him mow on his big fancy riding mower, and I've got my little, my little Sears craftsman. Me, me, me. At least it's electric. It's not. Gosh, his yard's pretty. Well, it's because he spends all his time there. I don't have the time to spend there. We think people have things because they didn't earn it. And so it's easy to resent people. And it's even harder when we don't like them and they're nasty people and they seem to be succeeding anyway. It makes it even harder, and there's a lot of that too. And sometimes people don't earn it and get it anyway. Well, that's not fair. No, you're right. It isn't. Sometimes we benefit from life being fair, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes life is fair to us and it's not to others. That just goes around. If we can stop, if we can look at what we have and realize how we've been blessed, how do we fight jealousy? How do we fight envy so we don't wind up crazy and vindictive and paranoid like Saul? We look at the blessings that matter in our life and we know that God loves us no matter what. We don't have to have all those things to be accepted by society. We don't have to chronicle every picture with our real family pretending like we're having a good time so everybody on Facebook can be jealous of us because we're skiing or at the beach and that's just what we do because we're all the perfect family. <laughs> Social media has been harmful to our self-esteem, to our sense of self-worth. And this horrible keeping up with the Joneses thing just escalated into the digital world. Don't play. Do not play. Know that you are loved. Know that you are accepted already by God first and foremost and by those in your life who love you. None of those relationships are perfect. And they will come and go and you will feel closer and farther from God, from other people. But those are some of the greatest blessings you'll be given in this life. And sometimes we let those go because they become so familiar. September 1979, Rupert Holmes writes the Pina Colada song, Escape. It's actually called Escape, parentheses, the Pina Colada song. So here's the quick story. He was tired of his old lady. They'd been together too long, like a worn out recording of a favorite song. That's not a bad way to say it's a favorite song, but gosh, you hear it over and over again, all right. So as he's laying in bed, he's reading the paper and there's a want ad. If you like pina coladas, getting caught in the rain, and on and on and on, all these things. And he says, yeah, I do. So throughout the song, he responds to this and writes his own, yes, I like pina coladas getting caught in the rain. 
And so the final scene comes. They were set to meet at the bar called O'Malley's where they'll plan their escape. So here he goes, he's cheating on his wife. And who does he see there at the bar? I knew the smile in an instant. I knew the curve of her face. It was my own lovely lady. And she said, oh, it's you. Then we laughed for a moment. And she said, I never knew that you like pina coladas getting caught in the rain. It's the same thing. Not only was there still so much they didn't know about each other that they rediscovered, but they found that the things attracted them now were the things that attracted them back then, even if they didn't know it. So yes, relationships, of course, become tired and worn at points, but don't let the grass be greener. Be content with the grass that you have. Don't stop striving to be more, to better yourself, but accept yourself knowing that God loves you and God made you, for crying out loud. Yes, there are ways that we all need to be better. We need to work on those flaws, just like we need to repent from sin and come back to God. But our foundation should be God's love for us. That gives us the courage to stand up and you say, well, good for them. That's not my thing, or I don't need to compete with that. Or even though that scuzzy coworker got the promotion that I should have gotten, you know what? I'll let it go. I'll keep working in my own way, or I'll find other options. Don't let yourself be sucked into the negativity. It does not have to be the cultural norm. Know that you are loved. Count the blessings you have. Be ambitious. Continue to create yourself through God's spirit. And don't let yourself be overtaken. Saul was going mad, as we all can in our own private ways. If you need help, ask for help. There's plenty out there and in here. Start with God and God's love for you. Hallelujah. Amen.